Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six oh, days. I'm going to need to I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all week. What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. <laughs> preparations of the Cape Verde national team for the Africa Cup of Nations were not exactly what you would call ideal. Their manager, captain and all three goalkeepers were among the many squad members to test positive for COVID before the tournament began. But their luck finally turned after 10 minutes of their opening game against Ethiopia last night. A red card for their opponents opening the door. They took full advantage. They won the game and have given themselves a great shot at making the knockout rounds. Why am I paying so much attention to the trials and tribulations of the Cape Verde national team, I hear you ask? Well, it's because there's an Irishman at the heart of their defence, and we're going to be speaking to him on today's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Ken. Hi, Kieran. Hey, Owen. How's it going? How are you, Owen? How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Roberto Lopez, centre-half with the League of Ireland champion Shamrock Rovers, made his debut for the country of his father's birth in late 2019. But it's an international career that very nearly didn't happen. The story goes, Roberto initially ignored a LinkedIn message in Portuguese from the manager who was looking to recruit him to the cause presuming it was spam didn't didn't have it translated at the time and only when they contacted him again a number of months later did he realise he was being invited to become an international footballer so he said he'd give it a go and now here, here he is on the opening night of the Africa Cup of Nations in action so the lesson in all this is I guess always open your spam messages doesn't sound like great advice actually in terms of mm. cyber security. even worse would be to always open your LinkedIn messages <laughs> that would be even worse yeah. I think I'd rather I'd rather go into my spam than, uh, I don't I don't Take out every LinkedIn email I get. I, I don't even open most of my emails at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm just, I don't care. What does it say on my email now? Oh, I have thousands. I have thousands there. No, I, I don't have any. No. I delete immediately. 71,410 unopened what? emails. Oh, no, I'm not that bad. That's a lot um, of emails. You know, just, I don't, I just don't like receiving communications from the world. I mean, it started with the, with the post you know, I mean, I remember years and years ago, it would be so exciting to get a letter. I mean, that was in the days before I used to get bills. Mm. Uh, anything that arrived from me was usually, oh, you know, it's someone has sent me a letter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'd be, and then it's... Who's sending you a letter? Pen pals. Back in, back in the 90s. Pals. 
We're talking. We're talking the nineteen eighties yeah, and nineties. Yeah, and I'm talking in the eighties. Who's sending you a letter? Maybe my my daddy. My daddy might be sending me a letter from oh, okay. from his yeah. from his job away in okay, well, in Norway. Or that's a very know. fair point, Murphy. Yeah. Or you know, through. whatever. My <laughs> friends. Um, we used to send each. We used to write each other. Then we sit down and write a letter. How about that? Have you written to him? Then I then written to him. Then you started getting like bills, and you're like, oh, a lot of the communication I receive in the post now is sort of is threatening. Like it's it's not good. Like it's it's not only not interesting, but it's actually actively frightening, <laughs> you know. And so I stopped opening. I stopped opening all my mail like years ago. But now I've I've extended it to emails. I just don't I don't even open them anymore. So if you okay, have you email, would not if be you playing have international football, <laughs> if, you, if this is the policy that you employed in this case, no, I, I, God knows what I would be doing if I if I uh, <laughs> opened them. But it's just it's just too much, Owen. Who has the time? Mm. Well, we're going to talk to Roberto Lopez on today's pod. We kicked off the second Captain's World Service New Year last week by employing the 3V broadcasting approach, veganism, VAR and vaccines. Now, this may indeed be the textbook way to attract new listeners, but even so... We thought we'd leave it until this week to bring you some major second captain's news for 2022. The bit of news, the first bit of news is that we have a, a new major news bower on. Murph, hit it. Sorry, actually, just hold on. Sorry, hold on one second. I just have to drop the microphone and get the... Hold on one second. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. Jesus, you've gotten good at that, Murph. Woo, excellent Bowerons. Yeah, we'll hear me playing the rim in a minute. <laughs> go on you go. First up, Isolating with David O'Doherty returns for Series 3 today. So we can now literally call it a tripod. That's Mark Horgan's gag, not mine. If you're already in the weird and wonderful community of Isolators, or if you fancy giving the DOD a try, become a member and you can listen to all of his three shows a week. You're going to have to be a member to listen to all of his shows. Oh, that's nice, Murph. I like that. Mm. Yeah, it's playing the rim there, that is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, our next international podcast series has gone into production, folks. Your five euro a month is crucial in allowing us to pursue these bigger long-term projects. And after the impact of Where Is George Gibney, we can confirm that Mark and the team are working on a major new series in 2022. That's not all. UK listeners will be announcing London shows for our massive crew over there very soon on the World Service. You'll have to be a member to get tickets. That's also the case for the extra nights that we'll be doing in our springtime Gangs All Here shows at the Liberty Hall, which will basically take over the whole month of March. Stay tuned for ticket news very soon. You okay there, Murphy? Getting tired? No, no, I'm just getting into my into the swing of things here. I can go on More for here. days on days. And of course, we'll bring you all the usual big name interviews and features on the Second Captain's World Service. We have a huge football guest lined up for the game that changed my life and an interview with a Pulitzer Prize winner to come soon. So we're going big in 2022. That's what I'm saying to you. Your five euro a month really does go a long way. Five euro plus fat. Please do join us today at secondcaptains.com. And thank you so much if you're already a member. You're amazing. Murph, take her home. Okay, that's me. Beautiful. That's me. Beautiful. Whew. Excellent, Murph. Well done. Ah, listen. I mean, you know, it, what can I say? You know, my first uh, New Year's resolution: learn a new musical instrument. It's gone pretty well. I mean, it, it took all the ten days, but <laughs> I got there. You know, already. I it's just you know, it's just hitting the drum. So I mean, how difficult could it be? Yeah. Quite frankly, that's nah, true. One final note: if you're a listener in the Manchester area, let us know if you'd like us to do a live show this year where you are too. There's there could be an opportunity there. So tweet us at secondcaptains or email editor at secondcaptains.com if you want to drive that baby. Isolating is going to be our second podcast out today. So no word on whether David will be covering the latest twist in the Novak Djokovic Australian Open story. So how about we'll do that at the end of this podcast just to make sure it's covered for you. But first, it's Report on Sport. Oh, and how did you enjoy um, being the, the sort of fairy godmother of the magic of the cup this weekend? 
Oh, I felt... The FA Cup magic midwife is how I'd describe Bob McGavin. <laughs> you were dispensing magic. I was watching you. You, you said, I'll show you what happened in the Spurs game. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> I was like, and then you said, you probably know what happened already uh, as you have the internet. And I was like, indeed I do, but I am looking forward to seeing the goals. Mm. Morecambe with a heavily Irish influenced... Uh, they did. They had an Irish captain. They had an Irish manager on the touchline. Dermot O'Carroll of Kerry. Anthony O'Connor of Cork. Uh, but unfortunately, Harry Kane. Of, of uh, Letter uh, Frack. Letter Frack. Uh, <laughs> had the last laugh. Uh, a nice finish, actually, by Harry Kane. Um, and, you know, it, looked, it, it was looking bad for Tottenham for a long time, you know. And actually, I, I, I wonder what the kind of long-term reverberations of that are going to be, or even short-term reverberations. Uh, and Dombele um, seemed to have a bit of a Shaka moment almost from the crowd. Uh, not not quite as bad as I'm, I'm referring here to, to the moment when Shaka was booed off by the crowd and like threw his own shirt on the ground and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and Dombele was just sort of booed off uh, by the crowd, which seems as though maybe he's not, uh, hasn't succeeded in impressing Antonio Conte. Uh, so far uh, but uh, why am I talking about this game in particular as it was the expected result when in fact there were games where the result was not expected uh, mm-hmm. none more so than at Newcastle although it wasn't that much of a surprise was it <laughs> uh, Wes Hulhan came on for the last half hour for Cambridge uh, as they won 1-0 against Newcastle with a goal which I have to say I think was clearly offside but for some reason was given anyway because they just sort of thought well you know Newcastle, so one of the Newcastle defenders sort of t- had a touch on the ball. I'm like, yeah, of course he had a touch. He has a touch on the ball because he's trying to stop it getting through to that offside Newcastle player, um, who he can't be sure whether he can't be sure whether that player is offside. And um, that goal should not be given, but it was given. And Newcastle got knocked out, and everybody was sort of laughing. Did you not know, Ken? The magic of the cup overrides the rules. all technology. Yeah, rules, so, technology, all that stuff. Yeah, M- magic supersedes it all. Well, the art, the magic of the cup also was too much for Arsenal, who unveiled a. Uh, an admirable anti-knife crime uh, initiative, the help of Idris Elba, who I think had had somehow been involved in the design of their white kits, uh, which they wore against Nottingham Forest. But Nottingham Forest won the game, and Arsenal had no shots on target. Uh, and Nuno Tavares, their fullback, was taken off in the first half. Hmm. Um, meanwhile, uh, someone they might have been able to use, uh, Ashley Maitland-Niles, was where was Ashley Maitland-Niles? He was in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome playing for Roma in one of the best games I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, you were watching this? Yeah, I saw people getting very excited about it. I, I was lucky enough, Owen. I was lucky enough uh, that I was in a situation where I actually couldn't see the BBC. I threw on instead the Serie A game, Roma, Juventus. I saw that Roma, Roma, had been, Roma were leading at the time and I turned it on in the first half. Um, and then it was really the second half, which was just incredible. Um, Roma are one 0 up. Tommy Abraham had scored one of their three English players in this in Jose Mourinho's uh, starting lineup, uh, and then Mkhitaryan uh, scored a deflected goal, kind of looped over Chesney in the Juventus goal, and then Pellegrini scores an amazing free kick um, to make it three one. And this was like you know f- ten minutes into the second half, and it's now three one to Roma. So Juventus are, are absolutely going down in flames, and the dis- and, and Juventus have already had the disastrous moment. And this is one of the this is the worst thing about this game. Um, a, a disaster strikes them in the first half when Federico Chiesa, I mean the favorite player among the top five favorite players of anyone who's ever seen him play, I believe, uh, 
I think he could be up there right yes. at the top for you the, these days, Murph. Oh. Has has done his uh, crazy thing, man. <sighs> this is actually, it's just too much of a Monday morning news story for me. I'm just, it's horrific. It's a, it it's is a, terrible. It is. It's a footballing tragedy. Who's going to tell you, S. Murph? I, I mean, I, I did see Clay Thompson has just come back from years out. For, and the San Francisco for Warriors, so. one, one of the best American football games I've ever seen last night. So, so he'll be okay. He's going to be okay. He, he might be able to recover. He's going to be yeah, okay. Yeah. But this Chiesa news will put a stop to his gallop a little today, I, <laughs> I, I fear. Mm, well, they I mean, they have to get past uh, the playoffs, right? Uh, to, to qualify for the World Cup in the first place, which now Chiesa is... Unlikely to be playing. I mean, well, the daftness chat. of the November World Cup does play it into Chiesa's hands a little here. I still think it's too soon, you know, to 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 be to be fit enough to make uh, Italy's World Cup squad in ten months' time, having busted your cruciate. Now it looked like nothing. You know, it was one of those where you know so you see some injuries and you're like, oh, that's a massive injury. You know, this is a disaster. You know, I mean, I remember. Uh, for instance, Oxley Chamberlain against Roma uh, a few years ago. I remember Oxley Chamberlain suffered a cruciate ligament injury yeah. against Roma, but it was t- it was a different type of situation. It was like you know he was going in for a tackle, running fast against the players running fast, and they they sort of fell, and the knee sort of buckled awkwardly underneath as the players were falling, kind of tangled together. Chiesa was just sort of turning on the ball, like it looked like nothing, and his and his knee just sort of seemed to pop, and and that was it. Anyway, look, Chiesa, it's a, it's a terrible injury, it's a disaster. Um, but in the game itself, uh, it, things were not were not going much better for Juventus. Three one down to Roma. Jose Mourinho was absolutely, obviously, loving it. Uh, but then, Alvaro Morata diddles the fullback, uh, puts over across Locatelli. Bush Locatelli heads it in. Jose Mourinho on the sideline springs into action. He replaces his. Uh, he takes off his young uh, Ghanaian uh, Felix Afenijan, and he replaces him with the more experienced Uzbek Eldor Shomorodov. Unfortunately, Eldor Shomorodov doesn't seem to be quite up to speed uh, because he comes in and he's sort of meant to be bolstering the sort of left side of the def- left side of the defense. Uh, you know, he's re- the player he's replacing is sort of left wing, but Jose's gone to a sort of a, a more defensive orientation, let's say. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Shomorodov manages to uh, not really notice or or finds it quite difficult to get a fix on the position of uh of old quadrado uh for juventus who just gets away from him like in the next minute like literally his first action of the game is to lose quadrado who gets in crosses Murata has a go gets deflected out comes back out kulisevsky bang three two v uh, there's a var appeal but it's a goal so it's three two and you know it says two goals in two minutes is always uh you know everyone everyone is now sitting up and paying attention to what's happening here and as roma desperately scrabbled to get back into the game uh juventus come forward again and their left back to suddenly just they just chip a ball a simple ball over the defense he runs through and he and he bangs it in and it is now four three to juventus having been three one to like it's it's absolutely unbelievable but wait there's more Roma then run up to the other end, uh, lash a ball into the box. Uh, Abraham again gets a volley on it, and the ball travels six inches from his boot to the elbow of Matthijs de Ligt, who is jumping to try and block. Hits him on the elbow. The referee not only gives a penalty on VAR, but sends de Ligt off for a second yellow card, which to me just seemed like an insane decision. Like, how can you, how can you double punish th- this? Like, I mean, it's it's like a 
if you're going to give a penalty because you're like, oh, look at his arm position, blah, blah, blah. Is, the, is that not enough rather than also inflicting a second yellow for this, for something which is clearly not deliberate? Like, I don't think you can you should book people for things that are not even deliberate. Um, but he uh, he sent him off. And this is now a chance for Roma to make it for all and to at least uh, save the result against a 10 man team. And Lorenzo Pellegrini, who scored that amazing free kick earlier in the game, steps up. Chesney says it. Mamma mia! So that was it. Uh, <laughs> there was no comeback. There was no second comeback. There was a, there was no um, on-field rally from Roma. There was Mourinho afterwards uh, criticizing his players. Uh, can you think of a word that it w- that was used in relation to his his um, defeated Roma players? Defeated Roma players. He's critical. Weak. Weak, correct? Yes. Weak. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I enjoy very much your passion. The team played really well. We had the mentality of taking control. We started strong. We had this idea of the high press controlling the tempo, taking the initiative. It was so good for 70 minutes. Then there was this psychological collapse. The 3-2 killed us because Felix, that's his young Ghanaian player, had an extraordinary game, which finished with a sprint against Quadrado. I take him off and his replacement gets it all wrong. El, uh, when we allowed them back in for 3-2 uh, that, that's, that's a poor old Eldor Shamarodov he didn't have to mention the guy's name His, this is the guy who he put on who immediately made a mistake and Jose is, is pointing that out just so everybody knows it was that guy's mistake not mine for putting him on of course when we led them back in for 3-2, a team with a strong mentality like Juventus, strong character, the fear set in, a psychological complex. It's not a problem for me, letting in the 3-2. It's a problem for them, for my team. Uh, when you're in the shit, you have to get back on your feet and find your character. But there are people in this locker room who are a bit too nice, a bit too weak. <laughs> yes. So that's... Uh, yeah, and, and, and there is the, the outcome of that is that basically Roma have, have kind of lost touch, lost touch with the with the teams at the top of the of the league I mean the the top of the league is Inter Why am I, I'm talking about Serie A I mean I suppose it was FA Cup no I like it this is what we like about the report and sport again it can, can go anywhere do you want to hear some, criti- some criticism I had for my FA Cup go on oh yeah always <laughs> Murph straight in there Stephen Underwood yeah says hi I wouldn't usually be on such a crusade but after travelling back to the UK from Dublin to see my beloved Swindon town take on Man City on Friday my footballing emotions are running high after being sprinkled with a little bit of FA Cup magic with the adrenaline still coursing through my veins after watching Man City pass Swindon to death on Friday I tuned in to watch another Premier League giant Liverpool take on Shrewsbury on Sunday afternoon on the usually excellent Crystal Palace TV slash Premier Sports 1 imagine my dismay when within five seconds Owen delivered a hammer blow to all lower league fans around the globe by the Describing this as the opening week of the FA Cup in inverted commas. While it might be the opening week for the morally bankrupt of financially rich Premier League sides that are no doubt lining Owen's pockets nicely. <laughs> for, fan, for fans of more humble, socially conscious sides like myself, it is the culmination of a lot of blood, sweat and negative PCR tests, giving our small little community sides the chance to taste the scraps falling from the table of the super wealthy. I don't suppose this will be read out due to Owen being in the pocket of big football, but I just felt the need to speak up for the little guy for once and ask, nay plead for you to please let us share some of the spotlight, if only for one miserly weekend. Yours in mild anger from Steve P. Yes, very much looking forward to the return of DOD to the second captain's fold. Thanks for organising that. Well, we're all looking forward to that one, Steve. In my defence, is that what I said? That's not what I intended to say. What I had down in front of me was 
welcoming you to the opening weekend of Premier Sports coverage of the oh. FA Cup. Now, sometimes Tasty. what's down in front you of you isn't all. <laughs> Thanks, Murph. What's down in front of you on paper isn't always what ends up coming out of your mouth live mm. on television. So if I did garble it, if I did say it was the opening week of the well. FA Cup, I apologise. It's one of those ones. I'm saying if I said it, I don't believe I did. But I haven't got a recording that I have access to right now, Steve. I'm sorry if you thought that's what I said. Yeah, if, yeah. That man will read offended. literally anything that's on the other queue, Stephen. Anything. <laughs> I refuse to believe that McDevitt did not slavishly follow the other no, queue. No auto queue these days, Murph. What? Do it live. No. I can go right oh, yeah. in and we'll, well do it live. Well, in that case, there's every chance. Who knows what the hell you could have said? <laughs> Bring back auto queue, screams Murph. <laughs> anyway, Ken, I've got you back into FA Cup mode. There, off you go. Um. Uh, no, I think I'll stick with the old. Uh, like there wasn't much else in the FA Cup. Was there? I mean, I okay. know people. People are like, oh, the FA Cup is great. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's it's fine. I, what about, about Kidderminster? Kidderminster uh, non-league taking out Reading. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always enjoy. I always enjoy the opportunity early in the in the new year to sort of to uh, take a bit of time off watching uh, a lot of English football. Mm. I'll tell you what I watched this weekend, lads. Dope sick. Dope sick. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, I, I watched it. Ken. Oh. Unbelievable. Oh, I was watching the same thing and then we didn't coordinate that. No, we really did. Wow. It was good. We it was re- good I, I thought, really yeah. enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. See, this is what the yeah. FA Cup weekend for me is all about, you know? Yeah, yeah. The opportunity to just look around and <laughs> see what else is going on in the world. Uh, watch a show about Jeez. the total corruption of all aspects of, of American life. American life. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, it was pretty good it's good stuff <laughs> uh, listen I'm hearing a lot of Golden Globes buzz for Michael Keaton and I'm all for it quite frankly yeah no he he, he was good I you know I thought the end of it was, wasn't wasn't the greatest but it just clipped along very well for six mm. six episodes or so it, it packs it a real emotional was... punch if, if I was a TV reviewer that's what I'd say the only thing more addictive than Oxycontin is this show <laughs> well um, Murph you see Will Smith already got his, his Golden Globe best actor has he? You were talking about yeah. You were talking about King Richard there last week. Yeah, sorry, I, I actually don't care about the Golden Globes, but uh, I'm glad uh, to hear that, that Will Smith has gotten uh, long overdue recognition. You know, if the if you win at the Golden Globes, there's every chance you'll back that up on Oscar Net. <laughs> um, the I mean, looking at this this area, uh, I see that Zlatan has scored again. Zlatan scored at the age of forty. Milan are just one point behind Inter, so they've got like an actual title race. I mean, Inter have a game in hand and look better. And we'll probably win, but yeah, it's not it's not certain. And um, they've they've got uh, Zlatan is is forty, obviously uh, has scored now in twenty four consecutive calendar years. I saw um, people tweeting this start over the weekend. Inter spearheaded by Jeko, the replacement for Lukaku, uh, who is I think thirty six. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's just great that that uh, the old favourites can just keep going and going. And so, although you know, you look at the Premier League. Uh, you've got uh, Tiago Button, as Thomas Tuchel was was calling him. Um, Dani Alves set up a goal for Barcelona the other day. He's not just a he's not just a cheerleader. He's also a, an assister, thirty nine years old. Uh, it looks like we've um, you know Dobsic is all about let's conquer pain. That was the the sort of messianic vision of uh, the uh, Sackler guy, uh, Richard Sackler. Um, but we've conquered aging, at least in football. I wish these guys would share their secrets. <laughs> like, I don't, you know, I just don't ask them about, don't ask them usual football questions. All I want to know is how, how are you guys still doing it? Like, I mean, is there anything you could, you know, someone was pointing out to me, this is what 40-year-old footballers used to look like. And it was a, it was a, um, a video of Jimmy Greaves' BBC interview. You know, Jimmy Greaves sitting there looking like, you know, 
oh my god, looking like someone's granddad, you know, and 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 he's the same age as Zlatan is, um, scoring in Serie A. I saw um, on one of my favorite uh, new Twitter accounts. The Twitter account had re- had retweeted the, the following tweet: "Throwback to when Rafa Benitez said John Terry was too old to play ninety minutes. Mourinho came the following season and made Terry play every single minute of the whole season. They won the Premier League together for the third time." Which uh, Twitter account do you think retweeted that? Oh, I'm on fire, but this one's easy. It's got to be JT's own Twitter account at John Terry twenty six. <laughs> at John Terry twenty six is has got to be one of the best recent additions to Twitter and it is a recent addition he only joined in November 2021 and uh, what does he do on this account well mainly what he does is he wishes happy birthday to football players like Eden Hazard and Ashley Cole and so on when when there's some other uh, great player he he always likes to be in there with the birthday greetings and he he sometimes puts in little photos of himself you know whether he's sitting in in on a sort of a plane in a large leather chair or he's like on the ski uh, ski slope saying what a start to new year this is as he as he um, pans around this beautiful uh, swiss or austrian or italian i don't know some alpine scene uh he sometimes sympathizes with um sick children uh he is a uh, an ambassador for the make a wish uh, foundation mm-hmm. um he retweets a lot of praise about himself, or sometimes tweets praise of himself. I mean, or he, he tweets things which he, he says that this makes me so happy. And as Chelsea fans would have batter, captain, leader, legend, great game of football today. He's sort of hanging around Chelsea. Um, you know, he he he'll sometimes put up a picture of like the the sign at like Chelsea, saying, "Oh, it's great to be here." You know, and you're like, <laughs> you're, "You're at Chelsea again." Uh, uh, he on January 1st he was in uh, reflective and passionate mood can someone explain why Gary Neville Phil Neville Paul Scholes Ashley Cole Nicky Butt Rio Ferdinand Saul Campbell Jamie Carger Wayne Rooney have never been honoured for their services to football we are talking the best of the best ever and then a picture of one of the medals for God and the Empire they uh, they hand out at the you know the the uh, awards uh, I don't know I don't know why they haven't been honoured um, he he. Sometimes this this. Sometimes he'll retweet something that seems a bit interested in somebody else, which is odd. This was a this was a strange one from the other day. Opta Joe tweets fifty four out of fifty four. All fifty four of Michael Antonio's Premier League goals have been scored from inside the penalty area. The only player in the competition's history to score more goals without scoring from outside the box is Tim Cahill. Fifty six out of fifty six. Tick. I'm like. Why has John Terry retweeted this like obscure statistic? Why does he care about Michael Antonio? Uh, and Go then on. there's a gra- but there's a graphic accompanying the tweet. One hundred percent of goals from inside the box. These are Premier League players who've scored most goals without scoring from outside the box. Premier League all time. Fifty six. Tim Cale. Fifty four. Michael Antonio. Fifty three. Chicharito. Fifty two. Gabriel Jesus. Forty one. John Terry. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is why. This is why he's actually like. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. Like that he would still be on there doing this kind of thing. I honestly, I'm not aware of too many. Can you think of any other sort of players who are as big time as John Terry was, who are sort of reduced to this? 
like in sort of sitting there like tweeting stuff about like how great their career was or like he's got one here where he 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 <laughs> he puts up a tweet of Gary Cahill and he's like this is this is a good example of of his style uh so it's a picture of Gary Cahill I think he's like holding the Premier League trophy and he's happy birthday at Gary J Cahill blue heart get on the size of the big man's arms um flexing bicep emoji I always had to make the armband bigger every time I passed it to him. Crying, <laughs> laughing face. <laughs> so, okay. That's, uh, okay. We managed to bring it back uh, pretty quickly to the, <laughs> to the main subject of this Twitter account. But uh, I just, uh, uh, the thing that uh, he has been doing, which is, to be honest, been most interesting over the last while, is uh, after joining Twitter and spending a while just sort of wishing happy birthday to people and putting, like, photos up of, like, his his nice house and, you know, uh, cool holidays. He started uh, tweeting about his his Bored Ape NFTs. And, uh, you know, his, uh, he's, well, he's been, he's just been trying to sling a lot of NFTs. Um, a big thank you to Ape Dads for this one. Really loving these NFT imp- interpretations of me. It's just like a winking ape. Uh, the best one, obviously, was uh, Christmas Day when he tweeted... On Christmas Day, uh, at uh, 4.53 in the p.m., uh, Merry Christmas, Mrs. T. Had to get you a little something, too. Thank you, uh, or, you know, D-Ape Wives or whatever, for the PFP for TT on the hashtag DAW7599, supporting <laughs> the number 26, and at Chelsea FC, as always. And it's a picture of uh, a female ape wearing lipstick uh, with, with, I guess, sort of Beats by Dre type blue headphones on, a John Terry number 26 or a number 26 Chelsea shirt and a look on her face of precisely the kind of disappointment I would have imagined John Terry's wife actually having on her face if this really (laughs) was her Christmas present, which I hope it wasn't. Um, Terry's doing this and I just think uh, he's not the only player, um, former player, uh, to be doing this. I've seen a lot of players uh, have started to do this um, are, are sort of singing these things. Uh, I think they're probably going to end up regretting their involvement with this and I can't help but wonder why. John Terry just in the, la- in the last day has uh, about one of his recent NFT offerings, which is one of the ugliest ones I've actually seen, one of the ugliest NFTs I've seen. Uh, he says, guys, I've decided today that all profits will be going to fantastic Make-A-Wish Foundation, where I'm proud to be an ambassador. He previously said a percentage of profits. Please please support my auction here, blah, blah, blah. I'll also add a signed JT26 shirt and video message to the winner. Um, yeah, I suppose as long as people think of these uh, things as donations rather than investments, uh, they can't go far wrong. Um, you did a detailed um deep dive into this entire area a couple of weeks ago for World Service members. So I hadn't noticed before uh, the other day, actually, that Watford have have Dogecoin on their on their shirt. I'm not sure how I managed to to uh, to miss this. Do, do, have you seen that? No. Yeah. What Watford, if you look at Watford's shirt this season, they've got on the shoulder, their shoulder sponsor is Dogecoin. So Dogecoin is that uh, is, is like a, a so-called meme coin. Uh, cryptocurrency, which is like a, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can, you can buy Dogecoin if you want to, and you can see it's quite easy for you to buy Dogecoin. The price might even go up. I wouldn't expect it to, 
I wouldn't expect it to go very, to go very far up, but it could. And in theory, you could then, you know, turn turn your Dogecoin into back into euros or some actually useful currency. That could happen. However, I would strongly advise you not to uh, not to get involved, not to get involved in trading this. As far as I can see, intrinsically worthless. I don't know if the correct word is asset, but it is certainly something that you can buy. Um, but uh, I think it's I think it's it's amazing that that a Premier League club are actually showing that. You know, when you think about like we've got this situation where it's like, oh, is gambling is gambling um, advertising appropriate? In you know, is, should all of these clubs be allowed to have gambling companies on their on their shirt? And then you've got a shirt, you've got a club which is advertising like a, a crypto pyramid scheme, like literally just a complete a, a road to nowhere. Like this is in, this is insane that this is being pushed at, at this level. Like it's it it just shows how sort of the problem sort of massively outpaces any regulatory attempt to keep up with it like if you think gambling is bad like this is just oh my god like oh my god the the founder or one of the founders of dogecoin um is a guy called jackson palmer so he was one of the i think believe two guys who set it up in 2013 and he then uh, broke all his links with the with the company the company i mean i don't know if i'm even correct in describing it as a company um a couple of years later yeah, and he's on Twitter as at um Jackson. He didn't really have a huge amount to say um, a lot of the time, but he did last year uh, post this thread, which I thought was interesting. And this is, this remembers one of the two guys who set this thing up, this thing that's sponsored that's that you can see on Watford shirts. I'm often asked if I will return to cryptocurrency or begin regularly sharing my thoughts on the topic again. My answer is a wholehearted no, but to avoid repeating myself, I figure it might be worthwhile briefly explaining why here. These are his tweets from July last year. After years of studying it, I believe that cryptocurrency is an inherently right-wing, hyper-capitalistic technology built primarily to amplify the wealth of its proponents through a combination of tax avoidance, diminished regulatory oversight, and artificially enforced scarcity. Despite claims of decentralization, the cryptocurrency industry is controlled by a powerful cartel of wealthy figures who, with time, have evolved to incorporate many of the same institutions tied to the existing centralized financial system they supposedly set out to replace. The cryptocurrency industry leverages a network of shady business connections, bought influencers, and pay-for-play media outlets to perpetuate a cult-like get-rich-quick funnel designed to extract new money from the financially desperate and naive. Financial exploitation undoubtedly existed before cryptocurrency, but cryptocurrency is almost purpose-built to make the funnel of profiteering more efficient for those at the top and less safeguarded for the vulnerable. Cryptocurrency is like taking the worst parts of today's capitalist system, for example, corruption, fraud, and inequality, and using software to technically limit the use of interventions, for example, audits, regulation, and taxation, which serve as protections or safety nets for the average person. Lose your savings account password? Your fault. Fall victim to a scam? Your fault. Billionaires manipulating markets? They're geniuses. This is the type of dangerous free-for-all capitalism cryptocurrency was unfortunately architected to facilitate since its inceptions. But these days, even the most modest critique of cryptocurrency will draw smears from the powerful figures in control of the industry and the ire of retail investors who they've sold the false promise of one day being a fellow billionaire. Good fight debate is near impossible. For these reasons, I simply no longer go out of my way to engage in public discussion regarding cryptocurrency. It doesn't align with my politics or belief system. I don't have the energy to try and discuss that with, the, uh, with those unwilling to engage in a grounded conversation. I applaud those with the energy to continue asking the hard questions and applying the lens of rigorous skepticism all technology should be subject to. New technology can make the world a better place, but not when decoupled from its inherent politics or societal consequences. 
So that was, uh, again, the co-founder of Watford's shirt sponsor, uh, shoulder, shoulder sponsor, uh, talking about the product he helped to uh, birth and which they are uh, putting out there into the world. I don't know how much Dogecoin paid for the, for the link up. Uh, obviously, this sort of stuff is everywhere. I mean, if you were watching Serie A last night, you couldn't help but notice that the VAR there is sponsored by Crypto.com. The LA Lakers are now playing in the Crypto.com arena. I think that's, that sponsorship has just taken... They've, they've taken over from Staples as the sponsor of their home ground. So, like, this is huge. And uh, be careful. Be careful, people. From Ireland's second captain show... Second captain show. It's the best thing in the world for you because it's full of protein. protein. This is not a dig at football people who know the game. No respect, no honor. What's the respect of my day? Dog shit the bad on. But who plays rugby? I imagine it was like something you would expect to see in a carnival. No, they don't. No, they do. Sorry, on. They do not. They're the balls. Shut up, the two of you. I just want to play commentary to go. Fall off, and I 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 go. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You get the ball forward, you compete, you chase people, you close people down, you create excitement, you win balls when you shouldn't win balls, you commit yourself to the game. It was the opening night of the Africa Cup of Nations last night and there was an Irishman right in the thick of it. Roberto Lopez, congrats on getting off to a winning start. Thanks very much, man. Uh, we're absolutely buzzing with the, with the start. Uh, so most important thing last night was to get three points and we, we managed to do that. I'd say particularly considering the build-up you guys have had, it was a relief to get the win. 100% of the side, like, obviously preparations haven't gone ideally to put, to put it best, like I say, with the COVID cases that we had and obviously not being able to have a warm-up game before the tournament. So, uh, that game yesterday was a, a lot of our first game a lot of us uh, first game in, in a long time it was mine since November so uh, the result was the most important thing and, and thankfully we started off with a win and something to build on now Tell us about the build up then because COVID hit you hit, hit the squad I should say really badly didn't it? Yeah 100% uh, I think uh, in total we've had uh, 19 cases of, of COVID at, right. at different stages um, I think last night we were missing nine players, um, and some of them were still in Cape Verde, including the including the manager. Uh, they, they weren't uh, able to travel in time. They didn't have a negative PCR test. And yeah, I suppose the first day we, we arrived in Cape Verde, we had a, maybe three or four as a result of PCR tests. Um, and then Morocco, who were meant to be playing in a warm-up game over there, they had uh, another four cases. So that obviously uh, scrapped that game. Um, and we decided to stay in Cape Verde. And then as, as that went on, more and more people started testing positive. Um, throughout our stay there, like and yeah, it just it just disrupted the uh, preparations a lot in terms of of training. Like I think there was three days there where we, we were out a goalkeeper, like so it wasn't uh, it wasn't ideal. How does it affect the, just the, the kind of atmosphere in the squad? I mean, do do you all have to kind of stay in your rooms and this kind of thing? I mean, like is is there any kind of normality about it at all when when like there's a risk of everyone sort of being knocked out of contention for a few days by getting positive for this virus? Yeah, like that's that's the that's the hard part I think to adapt in this whole sort of trip. Like it just there's just that constant worry uh, over you that like when there's a PCR test coming up, you have to find it really really nervous and like am I going to test negative or am I going to test positive? This can be the one where 
it, it knocks me out. And especially, I suppose, at the start, because we didn't know what it meant uh, for our tournament. Like, if, if one of us test positive, uh, would it have meant that our tournament was over before it even started? Or is that time to sort of catch up at the isolation and uh, and how fit we'd be? Like, we luckily, I suppose, like, having so many positive cases, um, we had enough in that group to try and separate away from the from the negative. So the lads were able to say, I suppose, reasonably fit in, in that time. But like, yeah, as far as like, other than uh, the time for training and having having meals, which uh, which are great to to be at a, at a group. Like, you know what I mean? Great to be together and uh, have the laugh. Uh, it's, been, it's been difficult, I suppose, to to really like enjoy the full experience of it. You mentioned it being a stressful time in advance with, with the... And still, I'm sure there's a, a stress around it with all those positive tests. I read in your your independent column that you've got a nickname for the team doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're too happy with me uh, saying that, but yeah, it's just it was just one training session in particular. Like uh, it was about I think two or three days before we were due to go to Cameroon, and he came out like about ten or fifteen minutes in the train when uh, everyone was in a good mood. So uh, you know, this this training session, everyone was really happy. And then we just seen him walk across the pitch and it's like, what's going on here? And he, he pulled the manager away and we're kind of like stopping and looking at each other. And one of the coaches was like, no, sorry, continue, it's grand, it's grand. And then he, he walked back out again and called everybody over. And I was thinking to myself, Gee, that's it, we, we all have it. Like, we're all, we're all goose here. Like, and uh, <laughs> but he, he said, there's just, I think there's four other players and the manager tested positive and um, that was that. Like he took them away, so, so I was re- really nervous. But like it was never really a good sight if the doctor's coming on to on the train and uh, train and pitch. Now I say you're just kind of worrying, Jesus, you coming for me or someone else this time? Yeah, the Grim Reaper. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah. Roberto if you're not gonna say it. <laughs> yeah, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> You've been okay though so far, Touch Wood, and you can even give a shout out to Rialto Medical Center. Yeah, like, Touch Wood. I was lucky enough to get uh, me booster about a week before I, I travelled to Cape Verde like, and uh, it, 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 look, it, I think it's definitely helped me like in, in terms of being protected I've, I've had two roommates who tested positive as I was spending most of my time with them like obviously in the room like, and I've been lucky enough to avoid it and long may that continue What's the dynamic been like then without the manager there for the first game? Yeah it was really weird like obviously the, the coaching staff here have, have been brilliant like, and they, they've taken to it like, as best as they could but uh, our manager is—he's really charismatic and, he, and he's really passionate about Cape Verde, and he's—he just gives you that sense of motivation of how much it means to to play for Cape Verde. Like, so he—he he, he was a massive loss, but um, look, hopefully we'll have him back back soon for the next game because uh, like he he deserves to get this tournament more than anyone. Like I say, he's done really well with with this team. Like I say, and he's, he's a man from Cape Verde. Like, so um, I'm hoping he gets here as quick as he can. I'm sure a lot of people listening here, Roberto, are wondering how exactly did this guy end up playing in the Africa Cup of Nations? So can you tell us the story? What's your Cape Verde connection? Uh, well, my father's from uh, from Cape Verde. He was born in the, the island of Sunny Clow and uh, my grandfather is still down there with a couple of uncles and aunties and, and cousins. Like, um, So I always obviously knew about me, my background and my Cape Verde heritage. And then when I was, uh, was uh, playing with, with Shamrock Rovers, I... I had a LinkedIn account that was set up um, years ago when I was back in college in, in DIT, like, and uh, I had a message from the then manager at the time, Rui Aguish, in Portuguese, like, uh, which I just sort of ignored, as I said. So many people have heard this story now. I just ignored because I thought it was a spam uh, message, which I've got plenty uh, over the years on, on LinkedIn. But uh, <laughs> thankfully enough, um, he, he saw through my ignorance and uh, he decided to send it again in English and uh, it was just an opportunity that I was delighted it didn't pass me and I so decided straight on to 
straight on to replying to him straight away and uh, apologising <laughs> as much as I could and say I'd, I'd love to be a part of this uh, the squad if it's if it's still available and it just sort of grew legs and, and snowballed from there and I'm just I'm, I'm forever grateful to to that day like where he wrote back to me in English. Yeah, it's a great story. What was it like then trying to settle into the squad? Did you did you speak the language or anything like that? No, and that that was probably my biggest fear coming into the into the group. As I say, I wasn't really sure if, if many or if any spoke English. Uh, so and I, I didn't really have any words of Creole because my mother doesn't speak it, so I wasn't really uh, spoken around the house when I was younger. Like, um, but the group accepted me uh, just fine. So I, like a lot more lads spoke English than they initially thought. Like, uh, made me feel so welcome and and helped me when say if I had any questions about like learning the language or what does this word mean. There were too kind for me, for me to help, and I suppose they, they made. I think what really settled me is they made me do my initiation song in uh, Creole. So uh, that was probably one of the most difficult things I've, I've ever done in the uh, in the football career was sing a song in a different language. But uh, it definitely helped me settle. And I say the football side of it is is football; it's its own language, and uh, that's all that matters. I suppose when you're when you're over on these trips. What song did you sing, Roberto? Oh Jesus! Uh, I think it's a song called "Dance It Me Creole." I won't give you the rendition of it, lads, because I absolutely no. butchered it. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll try and dig it up, maybe play at the play at the show. Yeah, yeah, please do because it'd be a lot better than my version. It's interesting to talk talk to you about this, brother. Because I mean, obviously in Ireland we've got the it's you know we we often have the situation of players who weren't born in this country who play for the country. Um, but I can't remember too many times talking to um, guys from Ireland who were playing for other countries. How does it make you feel to play for? Uh, like, how, how did how did it make you actually feel to play? Were you, was was it surprising? Did did you have any surprising feelings when you sort of lined ever Cape for the first time? Um, I wouldn't say it was a surprise. I was just, uh, I was just so excited to, to, to represent my family and the chance to play uh, international football. As I like, me, me Kate Bird in the heritage is probably something that I haven't really delved into too much, and probably should have uh, a lot earlier than I than I have now. And I'm just really keen just to learn more and and say be a part of it. Like it's, it's part of who I am, and I just I want to be able to tell it to tell everyone about Cape Bird. Like so, uh, I was just really, really excited to sort of represent my family and get to know about the the country of Cape Bird as a whole. Like, so you say that, that you you hadn't really delved into it before. Your dad didn't sort of uh, try to lead you down that path before. How come that didn't happen? Do you know what? It was probably more more my own fault. <laughs> I didn't really uh, ask enough questions or, or pay enough attention. Like uh, my dad, be fair, like he. He's always speaking about Cape Bird, and he he's, he has like obviously he tells the stories about before, like. But I think through my own ignorance, and I just didn't really pay attention when I was younger, like. And even now, though, like uh, songs that my dad used to play, like uh, around the house, like I'm hearing them now when we're away in the trips. All the lads are playing Cape Bird music, so it, I am sort of reminiscing on parts of my childhood that I should have been paying a bit more attention to and asked a bit more questions and and maybe making a bit more efforts. But uh, look, as I say, I'm, I'm making up for it now, and. Uh, control myself into anything uh, about the culture uh, and really enjoying it. Do you feel like it's kind of, it's actually changing you? Yeah, 100%. As I say, like, obviously the football, in terms of it, the quality is, 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 is really high. Like, so I'm developing as a player there, but it's more so as, as a person, I say, I'm getting to experiences, like, having these experiences where you're going to different parts of the world that I, I'd never go to. And uh, as I say, learning about, about Cape Bear, just trying to turn yourself head first into a language that you, you, you never spoke before and the culture not familiar about and just wanting to learn more it's it's just opened my mind to, to so many possibilities and to to take more chances in life i suppose 
Was there any opposition at all? Did you get the sense that you were taking up somebody else's spot? By the way, you have every right to play for for the country of your father, same way, uh, you know, the, the people have a right to play for Ireland, even if they weren't born here. But there is sometimes that strain of opposition, and, and often it's probably from people who might lose their place in the squad or whatever. It doesn't sound like you encountered anything negative there. No, never. I say never really any ne- negative emotions uh, when I've been around the down the squad. I say from ever since we first day arriving, I think it was in, in Marseille uh, in 2019. Uh, everyone was just so happy to have me there, and, and made me feel so welcome. As I like, even played the first game, like I mean, I was, I was made feel like I was, I was I was the best player they ever had. Like, which of course is is not true. Like, but uh, just to have that support and backing from from your teammates and the. The, the the staff is just it's a fantastic feeling knowing that like they want me here and of course I want to be a part of this like I'm we're all in it together. What were your emotions yesterday when you were lining up? Uh, I saw you singing the anthem there, knowing that you were representing the country of your dad at a major tournament. Yeah, to be honest with you, when I, as soon as we got to the, the pitch to the warm up, I was trying to block out with all emotions and just focus on the game and hand like uh, I think the day before and and the day off like uh, the nerves and the excitement were just spinning around my head and, and, and my stomach like so I had to put my phone on, on airplane mode uh, just to sort of get my head on the game and it's, I think for the for the 90 minutes the, or the two hours including the warm-up uh, I was just focused on, on getting the three points and uh, starting a, a campaign off with a win like uh, and then afterwards uh, I was just able just to, to breathe a sigh of relief and sort of take in take in the moment of, of where we are to, here in, uh, in Cameroon and, and what we achieved Is that easy to do to block out the emotion like that? Uh, no, it's not. And I suppose the bigger, the bigger the occasion and the bigger the game, the harder that is. Like, but uh, it, it's something that I've always tried to do in, in, in any game, whether I'm, I'm playing a league game in Rovers or say playing European game or you're away on international duty with, with Cape Verde. I've tried to just block out everything and, and focus on my job that I have to do in the game because it's, like, it's easy to get caught up in the occasion and, and the atmosphere and and you, you lose what you're supposed to be doing on the pitch. Like, so um, yeah, I've tried really hard to do it and. Like walk last night, I suppose. Yeah, tell us then when you turn your phone back on eventually, what sort of messages were you getting from, in particular, from your dad and your family? Yeah, it's just like it's like I was showered with messages of, of support and, and congratulations, like from family and friends. Like everyone was was, was delighted, like from, from my family, my girlfriend, my girlfriend's family, and um, they were all just like so happy for me. Like, and I just be overwhelmed with, with the support and, and the messages that I got. Like, and I'm just thankful for anyone who, who reached out, like, and uh. Look, I'm hoping I can do everyone proud and continue to do everyone proud in, in this tournament going forward. It's similar to the Euros, isn't it? The top two go through from each group and then you've got the four best third place finishers in the six groups. So it's opened up for you nicely now. You know, the next game is Thursday, Burkina Faso. If that goes well, don't want to preempt things here, but you're, you're, you're into the knockouts if you win that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's supposed to the joy of getting a, an early win on the board. Like you know, that you're probably one win away from getting through the next round, and I say that's why it's so important to, to start the campaign off right. Uh, we know we have two really difficult games now coming in Burkina Faso and Cameroon, but we're here on, on merit, and we have a chance of, of beating these teams. Like so, uh, we'll be really hungry and looking forward to to, to get to the game on Thursday, and and just knowing that like a win here could put us in a really strong position. We'll be we'll be going all out um, to try and get them three points. Uh, have you started looking at like um, the kind of wall chart, like plotting <laughs> what might happen? I mean, you're playing; you have to play against Cameroon. It's always difficult against the host nation. Could finish runner up. That would put you against the runner up of Group C. You could be marking Pierre Emery or Bamiyang, for instance. Yeah, no, I haven't looked that far at all. I think uh, 
won the last, my roommate actually last night, Jeffrey, he said that if we, like, we need to finish top of this group because we could play so-and-so, but that was oblivious to me, as I say, like, I, my mind was 100% on uh, Ethiopia. Uh, that's all that I'm concerned about and it's the same now so I'm not looking past Burkina Faso because I think if you, if you start looking at the, the later stages before you get there it can all end in tears I take you're getting good support from the club as well it's, it's great for them to have you over there I'm sure Rovers are supporting you yeah Rovers have been fantastic for me so like everyone from the media team to the, to the players and, and staff are, are wishing me well and, and like checking in on me like and it, it's great to be able to represent Shamrock Rovers as well like the club has been brilliant to me like so I'll be able to put them on the international map as well it's it, it, it's an honour for me to do that as well Well listen Roberto stay safe over there that's the main thing and uh, well, the other main thing is winning the games and hopefully qualifying on Thursday so well done on, on last night I should also mention that Irish Independent Column is very entertaining as well so we'll point people in that direction thanks so much for chatting to us Thanks very much for having me on lads I'll speak to you soon It was totally insane Jesus Christ oh my God it's coming back to me now Oh my God What happened? After the game I came back on the, the metro from the stadium to Nevsky Prospect. It was like basically Russian Arthur's Day. Uh, they're all beating your horns. They like rev their engines. You've got terror of death. You think you're going to die. Loads of people had these balloons of what I assumed was laughing gas. Hippie crack. Raheem Sterling hippie crack. I'm sorely tempted. I was like, I really should try that. What happens if I fall over and hit my head? And then, I, I watched as a girl took a great big <laughs> out of this balloon, right? <laughs> and so I was, I was sort of giggling. And then just eyes rolled back in the head and she just fell backwards like poof. A couple of minutes after that, so this time a man, probably 30-ish, pitched forward onto his face. I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened again. Smashed down onto concrete with his chin. He'll never chew normally again. He's gonna be half dead. But in fact, again, he was all right. Old titanium jaw. <laughs> what a night. What a city. What an adventure for the host nation. Novak Djokovic. In all the drama around the cancellation of his visa last week, there was one very important point. He was actually allowed into the country in the end. You got the sense, and we covered the story last week, that once he was in there, there was a fair chance he could end up playing in the tournament. If you don't buy a ticket, you don't win the visa raffle, as they say. And the news out of Australia today is Novak Djokovic will be immediately released from immigration detention after the federal court, circuit court, ordered a decision to cancel his visa be quashed. The judge queried what more Djokovic could have done to prove his medical exemption and criticised the Australian government for reneging on a deal to give him more time to defend his visa from cancellation. Judge Anthony Kelly said that he, the judge, was preoccupied and somewhat agitated by the issue of why Australian officials did not accept an exemption document provided by Djokovic from a qualified physician backed up by an independent Victorian government panel. So that's where we're at. Djokovic is now free to enter the history books by winning his 21st Grand Slam title in Melbourne. Hold on a second. This might not be the end of the story. The Australian government's counsel, Christopher Tran, informed the court that another minister of government, the immigration minister, Alex Hawke, would consider exercising a personal power to cancel Djokovic's visa. Kelly, the judge, praised his candour, the candour of the the representative of the government here, Christopher Tran, he questioned if such a power was exercised, whether Djokovic will be removed from Australia and unable to return for three years, which Tran confirmed was the case. The stakes have now risen rather than receded, the judge said, in a line that sounded like the end of an action movie trailer. <laughs> Albeit, I don't know if it was delivered quite in that tone. What do you guys think of this latest twist? I've, I've given you a couple of twists there. One twist is that he's 
fine to play. But another twist is that he could still be re-cancelled. I mean, they're not going to do that, clearly, surely. Well, I mean, well it's been brought up in court by the government. Yeah, but I mean, that, that would be a that would be a crazy move, I think, by the... Because, um, I mean, Djokovic could take him to court again and probably... Well, that's exactly what would happen, win again. Guess. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean. um, and then it would be just a massive personal humiliation uh, for that politician. And, you know, I just... Uh, you know, he would already have sort of overridden his court system to, to do something which... I mean, I haven't read the... Uh, ruling, or I mean, I actually tried to look at some of the ruling last night, but the link that you could supposedly watch it at the hearing, rather. Oh, uh, watch really, it live, the live stream. The, like. Yeah, the link that you could supposedly watch it at just was was collapsing. There was too many people, I guess, wanted to watch this um, uh, thing, and uh, so I didn't. I didn't actually get to see it. But so this morning, I saw that he'd won the um, he'd won the appeal, and the the thing that I did read was there was a thirty page transcript of his interview with the immigration official at the airport, which, you know, kind of was was like an eight hour job. I mean, it wasn't, they weren't talking for eight hours. They paused the interview at several times. They suspended, but you know, it, it's, it's like from midnight to about 8 a.m. This is the sort of time that this whole process is taking place over. And I have to say that in that transcript, Djokovic comes across as patient and reasonable. <laughs> and I ended up having a lot of sympathy for him because you can, sort of everyone has been in the has had the experience of being kind of <laughs> stuck in a situation with a with a kind of an official of some kind who is who had the infuriating habit in this instance of repeatedly saying the word yep <laughs> he didn't say <laughs> yes or yeah he said yep <laughs> like in the sort of you're like don't stop that stop saying yeah i i'm i think i would have had to say that Djokovic did not say that Djokovic. i mean he knew that the interview was being recorded uh he probably had a fair idea that that the content of the interview was being reported he was on his best behavior i've seen him lose it sometimes on the tennis court he did not lose it with this immigration visual but i feel as though many in his situation would have as it just kind of the whole thing seemed a bit weird like Djokovic evidently was totally confident that he that all of his stuff was in order that you know it wasn't a case of oh yeah I think we got the right visa did we oh you know oh there was no mistakes as far as he was concerned on his side um he had you know they checked and they'd been told this is what you need and blah 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 and he'd had COVID twice before uh, the most recently on December 16th I mean I know there was this whole other thing of well I don't know he's got supposedly got COVID December 16th and here he is on December 17th or December 18th and he's like you know having some kind of a kumbaya <laughs> like just he's it's just Novak Djokovic photographed in crowd scenes you know yeah there have been a couple of pub public yeah yeah he was out, out, out and about a couple of times after. a medal a prize giving ceremony with like 50 kids or something maskless yeah after getting his positive and you, and you're like, test. well shouldn't be shouldn't really be doing that but like um the thing is that he it just seemed odd the kind of objections that that were being made it's like oh no i think there are grounds to to withdraw your visa and it, it was sort of not really explained why the uh, the closest the guy came to explaining it was um he said well you know when you come to australia it's a federal thing you know the federal government controls the ports so you know whatever the victoria state has told you maybe it's a it's a different setup here but it all just seemed a bit kind of weird and, you know, Djokovic, I think quite reasonably was in a situation at one point of saying, or they were like, look, you, we'll give you 20 minutes to sort of tell us why you haven't got your stuff in order and then maybe we'll put you on a plane. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's four in the morning. You can't, you can't say to me now, 
have 20 minutes. I can't get any information now. Everyone who I, everyone who might be able to help me or give me information in this situation is currently asleep. I can't call anyone now. You know, kind of, you know what, what am I, and I think that at this point, they eventually gave him his phone so he could like call his agent or whatever. I mean, at the same time, Djokovic's situation is different from a lot. I mean, see, you see Nigel Farage is like, was like over with his family and all this, you know, and he sort of turned this into a, into like a cause celeb for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, did you see Andy Murray? So I'm calling him out. Yeah, he says, please. So Farage, I'm not, Farage has just decided this is a, this is a cause he'll take on, Novak Djokovic's cause. And he releases a video from Novak's brother's house, wandering around the place, looking at his trophies. And Andy Murray retweets it saying, please record the awkward moment when you tell them you've spent most of your career campaigning to have people from Eastern Europe deported with a wink emoji. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the key thing with, uh, with Djokovic, um, I guess, as far as Farage is concerned, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not that he's East European. I mean, he's, he's not like Djokovic. He's not just any old East European. <laughs> this guy is like, uh, rich and, and, and very successful. Um, whereas the Australian, uh, government has been taken over by, uh, COVID, um, you know, uh, fanatics, uh, and, ha- and has forgotten about liberty. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, this is a sort of, uh, th- this is why Farage wants to get involved in this, or, you know, this is what attracts him in this cause. Like, you know, he's quite good at sort of s- sniffing out causes that sort of chime with his overall mm. political project. Like, you know, remember the, the knee or whatever, this is one, his one sort of football intervention in recent times is when, you know, Millwall were booing the knee and he was like, oh, good old Millwall, at least someone's standing up for, for liberty or whatever against this sort of um, consent, you know, this this consensus which which they're trying to impose on us and so on and so forth. But um, I mean, as far as I know, that that the minister can now say to jo- can now deport Djokovic anyway on the basis that he's a threat to like he's he's a he's a threat to public health in Australia. And if that happens, if the, the visa is cancelled for three years, that's why that clarification was sought by the judge. If that was to happen, if the minister makes that call, then that would be challenged in the court as well. I think it's so embarrassing for the Australian government, for the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. We played him last week. He was doing a lot of grandstanding on this. No one is above the rules. Mm. All this kind of stuff. I, we got an email in from Mark Geary. He's been living in Melbourne for 30 years explaining that Australia is going through. It's, a lot of people might have been reading this over the weekend, but Australia is going through its worst phase of the pandemic. In the days before the Novak visa issued, the news was dominated by the lack of rapid antigen tests in the country. Morrison, the Prime Minister, was copying a lot of heat for there being a shortfall and for stating they wouldn't be free. Long queues at PCR testing centres, rocketing case numbers, all that kind of stuff. He faces an election sometime between now and July. He's trailing in the polls. By denying Novak entry, the news headlines change from the pandemic to the Novak circus, a distraction that shows how strong our border controls are, making the Prime Minister look good, or at least an attempt to make the Prime Minister look good. I read it. It's a really good email because I read a big New York Times piece which uh, had a lot more words in it, but basically made the exact same point, that this was a clear attempt from the Prime Minister to... Yeah, get involved here, see which way the wind was blowing, then come down really hard, do all that grandstanding and use the whole story as a tool to win some popularity ahead of the elections, which is fine until it backfires. Mm. <laughs> the plan has hit a little bit of a snag now. So, well, I mean, I, I just don't see what, what they can do now. I mean, you know, so what this ministry maybe has this reserve power, but like, I mean, it seems to me that if the, if the intention is to uh, show that no one is beyond the rules or whatever, um, by by kind of taking it into his own hands, sort of disregarding the court and saying, "Well, now you're you're gone anyway." Then the minister might be sort of 
that there might be a, an element of well, I'm I, everyone. No one is above the rules apart from me. I am because the law. I am the law. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which which Judge would be Dredd style. a bit risky. And even and even then, he actually he, the law might might tell him to get to get back in his box. And I just think it would be a difficult thing to argue that the Djokovic really does constitute a, a risk to Australia's public health, like. You know, whatever about like making a rule about this in general, it's like it's. I just find it hard to imagine how, in this in these circumstances, they could argue it with regard to this specific individual who's already sort of been cleared to enter the country by a court. You know, it just kind of seems as though. Well, look, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. Why am I pontificating about this? I don't really know, but uh, it seems it seems to me that. Oh, and I think I think the best way to finish this is by saying. It seems to me that I was right and that Novak Djokovic will play in the Australian Open I was going to tell you that, Ken. I was going to start by saying you were right, but I didn't want to be, you know, well, how about, didn't want how to put about, people off at the start of the conversation. Yeah. So I'm glad you picked up yourself there. Sorry, Kieran. To, how about really to finish off, we should hear from the, the, the main man at the centre of all this, which is, of course, Novak's, Djokovic? Novak's dad. No, uh, because I, I think our podcast was out on Friday before he he <laughs> got back up in the soapbox to say that they are trying to crucify and belittle Novak and throw him to his knees. Jesus was crucified and had to endure many things, but still remains alive among us. Novak is also crucified, who is the best sportsman and man in best sportsman and man in the world. He will endure. And it looks like he will endure for another couple of weeks in Australia. And oh, wow. Not- so it was, it was, it was, he'd only gone as far as the Spartacus reference by the time he recorded yeah, on Friday. Spartacus. And he went straight for Jesus shortly afterwards. Forget yeah. Spartacus. He was pissed off. At him. He put the Spartacus stuff out and then he looked at it in paper and said, that's not dramatic enough. That's not going to get people's well, attention. Both, 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 both were crucified, aren't mm-hmm. All three were crucified, I suppose. But, yeah. but uh, uh, Djokovic... Uh, endures he endures okay let's all go get isolating everybody remember to sign up to the world service and secondcaptains.com for all the new episodes of isolating with David O'Darty and indeed for a huge 2022 but yeah I did I went to the rocks we're going to play out with a little bit of uh, Roberto Lopez Cape Verdean music special if that's okay you guys oh well I think that's 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 a beautiful thought on I don't think this is the tune that he sang in front of the squad but it is the one he says he remembers his dad playing growing up in the house in Dublin it is called obviously I know my Cape Verdean music like the back of my hand but I just had better double check on the internet here Badja by a well-known artist called Kino Cabral of course you know Murph Cray Badja means I want to dance well obviously mate so Cray Badja
that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.